Let's pray together. Father, thank you that we have this opportunity to continue to worship you. As we worship you in your word, we pray that we would yield ourselves fully to you and that we would understand your word well. And we pray that your spirit would make the appropriate application in our lives that we are needing. And we pray that we'd be refreshed with confidence in you and your plans. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever tried to build something that was not pre-made? You know, like Ikea products? I can, I can do that. I can do that all day. I'm actually remarkably good at following instructions. So I lay everything out, and I follow the step-by-step process, and uh, without fail, as long as all the parts are there and the instructions are somewhat English-oriented, I can follow it out to, to the end, and, and the product is there, and, it's, and it looks good. But if you try to construct something that wasn't pre-made, have you ever thought about building a shed? What do you need in order to build a shed? Um, you can buy all the wood, and you can buy the door, and the roof shingles, etc., all these things. What else do you need to have on hand? You need to have some tools. You might need some screws and nails, and uh, possibly a construction brain might be helpful uh, to go along with all of that. The wood forms the structure. The screws and the nails hold it all together. The tools are used to help us prepare, measure, and execute the plan. You need it all. You can't build a shed or any other substantive structure without having all the materials, including the tools and the brain, to do it. You need it all. The Apostle Paul has instructed us to put on the whole armor of God in order to stand against the schemes of the devil. God has provided us with all of the appropriate building materials, so to speak. At the heart of it all, we have a deep, deep need for the work of the Holy Spirit of God. The tools, the adhesives, the screws, the nails, what holds it all together is the work of the Holy Spirit of God. You can have all of the armor of God available and at your disposal, but if if you are not empowered by the Spirit to enact, to operate, to function in those elements of God's armor, we will not be able to properly defend ourselves. Because this is so, Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 18 and following, these words. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And for me also, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the Gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak, as it is necessary for me to speak. What we will notice this morning is that as we pray in the Spirit, 
God enables us both to stand against the onslaught of Satan and to advance the kingdom of God through the proclamation of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Prayer must undergird the spiritual lives of God's people and the ministry of the Gospel. Prayer is not... This is important because there, there's, as, as you get religious, we start to think about prayer and prayer's impact. Prayer is not in and of itself powerful. I hope you know that. Prayer is not in and of itself powerful. It is powerful when employed and empowered by God Himself. The believer doesn't say his prayers. You've heard that expression, right? I say my prayers. Or will you say a prayer for me? The believer believer does not say his prayers. The believer prays. There is a distinctive difference. For the believer walking in the Spirit, prayer is like breathing. For the believer who's walking in the Spirit, prayer is like breathing. Breathing. We're praying continuously. For we know that without constant fellowship with God, we are relying upon our own resources. This is a constant in our spiritual lives. As we wake up, recognizing in order for this day to be what it's supposed to be for the Lord, I cannot arm myself simply with my own natural resources. And I can't even just read my Bible and hope that's going to get me through the day. It's not... Um, here, here's a little, a little pill for the morning and, and hope that it will, will remedy all of my ills for the day. Walking in the Spirit is about living your life under the control of the Spirit. It's about yielding our lives, our resources, our mind, everything we are. It's about yielding it all to the power of the Lord and to the work of the Spirit. Prayer is not, it's not a piece of the armor here. Some people say this is another piece of the armor. I don't believe that that's correct. I don't have a problem with it. I don't think they've done something heretical by saying that prayer is a piece of the armor. But I don't believe that prayer is a piece of the armor. Prayer is the avenue by which the armor is in place. Prayer is part and parcel of the entire process. The whole armor of God is applied to us through the prayer of the saint by, uh, as he's controlled by the Spirit. Through prayer, our our armor is on, it is operational, and we stand. Not we might stand, but we do stand. As we pray in the Spirit, as we strap on the armor of God that is flawless, when we are armed with that armor, we are going to stand. Not only this, but through prayer... We confidently and boldly declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so when you first came in this morning and you saw the screens, you saw the title of our study this morning. Prayer to stand and advance. Prayer to stand and advance. This 
portion of Scripture helps us to understand that through the prayer of the saints empowered by the Spirit, we have the ability to to, to stand against the onslaught and advance with the Gospel. And as the Gospel expands, guess what happens to the kingdom of uh, darkness? It retreats. As the Gospel expands, as the kingdom of God expands, as the church is broadened, widened, and deepened, the kingdom of darkness has less and less sway over the world in which we live. And so we want to first of all notice that we are to pray for one another. Pray for one another. Look at verse 18 again. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. you notice anything repeated in there? All, 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 all. Four of them. Four alls. Trying to give us an understanding of the, the inclusiveness and the importance of this. We're to pray for one another. The, the Greek text starts this verse with the prepositional phrase, through all prayer and supplication. Our versions, many of them, reorient where, where, uh, what is at the beginning. But the Greek text has through all prayer and supplication. That's how this verse starts. Understanding that this is not a new section in the book of Ephesians. This is a continuation of the subject that Paul has already been proclaiming. The pathway to arming ourselves with the armor and standing is through prayer and supplication. Paul uses a general word for prayer, a general word for talking with God, and then he uses a specific word that indicates need. It's the word uh, deasis. Deasis. It means need or lack or want. Something. I, I have this, this area that I'm falling short and I need some help. Supplication indicates a need. Prayer indicates talking with God. So not only in talking with God, but recognizing my desperate need, how, how I'm short-handed, how I'm actually incapable without the Lord. And so supplication has that concept of a desperate need. It can be translated to plead or to beg. One linguist group of men wrote this about this word. That which is asked with urgency based upon presumed need. So there's an urgency here. So he begins verse 18 after he has told us all of the pieces of God's armor that we're to take up, to put on, to to either apply on us or to hold up. After he tells us that, he says, through all prayer and supplication. And then he uses the word, the, the present tense participle, praying. Praying. He's giving us an idea that this is something that is a continual action. In order for us to be properly equipped with the armor, we must be praying. Praying continuously. And then if that weren't enough, he adds the phrase, at all times. Praying at all times. So the concept that is brought to our attention is the constancy of prayer. The constancy of prayer. This is, comes up regularly in our New Testament. I want you to think about this. Just a few references for your consideration. I'll be on the screen to my left and right. Paul wrote in Romans 12.12, Be constant in prayer. Be continually in prayer. Don't stop 
praying. In Colossians 4.2, Paul writes this, Continue steadfastly without deviation, without stopping. Continue steadfastly with dogged determination in prayer. Being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And you're familiar probably with what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and in verse 17. Pray without ceasing. You might think, this is overkill. Who can do this? I might just challenge your thinking on that and say, who can't do this? How can you possibly live your life without a continuous subjection and a desperate cry for help to the God who made you and everything around you? This is not fantastic thinking. This is real life. You and I cannot properly function as proper husbands, wives, parents, children, employees, friends, co-workers, bosses, servants. We cannot properly function without the Spirit enabling us. And how does the Spirit, how do you interact with the Spirit? How do we put ourselves in subjection to the Spirit through prayer. A humble placing of myself at the disposal of the Almighty God of the universe. How can we not be constant in prayer? You see the effects. I see the effects when I am not constant in prayer. My family sees the effects when I am not constant in prayer. Someone who might meet with me in a various setting might see the effects of me not being constant in prayer. Because if I am not, I'm relying on my own resources. And I might be a swell guy. I'm not, I'm not a terrible person. Like I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm your average kind person. But my kindness isn't going to get anyone anywhere. That's not what I have to offer you. I have something great to offer you. And I'm not it. And so if we want to make the impact that God has called us to make, we have to be constant in prayer. We need the Spirit to guide us. Now, if those passages from the Apostle Paul aren't enough to convince us of this desperate need we have for being constant in prayer, I'll remind you of the admonition that came through the the writer Luke, as he's speaking about a parable the Lord Jesus was giving. Listen to what he says in Luke 18.1. I'll be on the screens in front of you. Luke 18.1. He told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. They ought always to pray and not lose heart. The Lord Jesus was about to give a great uh, illustration of a woman that was in need going before a, uh, a not kindly judge. And he speaks about her as one who, who is pleading her case, desperate. And it was to illustrate this concept of constancy in prayer for us to recognize how desperate we are to be in prayer. And Paul is doing that for us in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18. He's letting us know you are in a desperate fight for your life. 
You are up against a foe that will absolutely obliterate you. You will never stand toe-to-toe with Satan and win with your own resources. However, God has equipped you with his resources. And because he's equipped you with his resources, he's told you, put those things on. Put on the whole armor of God. And then he says, here's how you'll put it on. Praying always. Praying at all times. And so we see our prayer must or should be characterized as continual. As continual. Nextly, as we move through the passage a little bit further, our prayer should be characterized as spirit wrought. Spirit wrought. We already talked about this, but just for the sake of grounding it in our minds through Scripture as opposed to me speaking. He tells us in verse 18, praying at all times in the Spirit. The Spirit is at the heart of all things that are spiritual. He is the one who illuminates our minds. He is the one who regenerates us. He gives us life. He gives us spiritual life. He teaches us. He guides us. He empowers us. It is through the Spirit's ministry that we demonstrate God's pleasure. It is through the Spirit's ministry that we demonstrate God's joy. It is through the Spirit's ministry that we demonstrate and receive the comfort that comes from God. One commentator, Peter T. O'Brien, wrote this about the Ephesians. Their prayers are to be in or by the Spirit. That is, inspired and guided by the same Holy Spirit through whom they have confident access to the Father in Ephesians 2.18 as those who have been built into God's dwelling place in the Spirit, Ephesians 2.22, and who are being filled by the Spirit, Ephesians 5.18. They are to pray to the Father, prompted and guided by the Spirit. I want you to think about the concept here just for a moment. What do you think when you think of the word Trinity? You think of God the Father... God the Son, and God the Spirit. Are they all God? From a scriptural standpoint, they're all God. Three gods in one essence. Three persons, one God. Three persons, Father, Son, Spirit, one essence, one God. This is why the apostle, uh, uh, Moses was penning the words inspired by the Spirit. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is One, He is unified. He's united together. When you think of Trinity, you think of Father, Son, Spirit, you think of one God. And now what we're talking about here is being guided, empowered, prompted by the Spirit to pray to the Father. They're both God, right? If the Spirit prompts you to pray as God, prays to the Father who is God, do you think the prompting will be one that is in accordance with the will of the Father? Yes, therefore, when you and I are prompted, led in prayer by the Spirit, you can guarantee what we're praying is the will of God. And you can guarantee that that prayer will be answered. It is the Spirit who, when we are unsure of how to pray, prays in our stead, as Paul wrote in Romans 8.26. He wrote this, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. In our weaknesses. For we do not know 
what to pray for as we ought sometimes. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. He's not speaking about speaking in some unknown language. He's talking about when we don't know what to pray, the Spirit does and He prays on our behalf. What a glorious thing this is. It is glorious to know I am not alone as I face the onslaught of the evil one and the kingdom of darkness. Jude spoke also of praying in the Spirit in Jude 20. This is a reference to yielding ourselves and our thoughts to God Himself who uses us. This is is really cool. Uses us as instruments of His good pleasure. Because we have God prompting us to talk to God. Could He have done it a quicker way? What do you think? Could He have just skipped the middleman? He could have. He could have gone right to Himself. But instead, He uses us. He uses us as frail, dependent vessels to offer to Him prayer. Prayer that He answers. And we can see His good hand in our lives to bring Him pleasure. So our prayer should be characterized as continual, as spirit-wrought. Nextly, our prayer should be characterized by watchfulness. I want you to I'm going to stop here just for a second. Look what it says in the middle of verse 18. It says, To that end, keep alert with all perseverance. To that end, keep alert. Uh, the ESV changes the, the structure a little bit, how, how it translates this, and I, I don't prefer that at all. I prefer the way the New American Standard has this. It says, be on the alert. Or I would translate it even differently. I would say, keeping on the alert. So if let's change it just for a second, just to understand it better. It says, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication, keeping on the alert with all perseverance. The concept is that of um, sleeplessness. To lie sleepless. To suffer from insomnia. To be watchful. To be vigilant. So, uh, I recently had a, a bout of insomnia. I'm not proud of this. On Friday night, there was this game. Are you aware there's a game? A game. Yeah, a game. Going on. It's called the World Series. This game started at 8.09. It's the longest World Series game in history. Seven hours and 20 minutes. A couple of days earlier, there was another game. And I just... I decided I'm just going to go to bed. So I went and I got in my bed. And I put my head on my pillow. And I was like, don't, don't get up. Don't, don't check. Stop thinking. This isn't important. This is nonsense. What's the matter with you? This went on for an hour. An hour. I was laying in my bed. 
doing nothing because of a game. So I got up. May as well. I'm up anyway. I may as well see what's happening. And I watched, and they won, blah, 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 blah. On Friday night, I determined I'm just going to watch the thing. Because I'm just, if I'm going to start, I may as well just watch it. Um, I didn't watch the whole thing, but I watched the ridiculous part of it. And it's going on and on. And like, I, what I decided, I'm going to lay in the chair here, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sleep. <laughs> Bing! You, are you feeling me? Insomnia. Seven hours and 20 minutes. We struggle when someone talks for 40 minutes about the Bible. We struggle when it goes to 45, to 50, to 55. When is this guy going to stop? It's 60 minutes now. What exactly can you not have said in 60 minutes? I know, I'm usually the one that's doing it and thinking, why can't you stop? Nonetheless, I, I was there in restlessness, insomnia, because I was on the alert because of a dumb game. By the way, I woke up the next morning rather late. Um, it was in the 8 o'clock hour, which never happens, and my wife was not happy with me, and she told me that she was going to make a little card of shame for me and hang it around my neck. <laughs> she didn't, but I, I felt it all day hanging around my neck. By the way, I did not watch one pitch of the game last night because I would have felt personally like I would have been sinning to do that from Saturday into Sunday preparing for worship. So I didn't watch even a pitch last night, but I did watch a lot of pitches, like an insane amount of pitches the night before. Why am I talking about this? Well, because I wanted my wife, I wanted you to know that my wife wanted to give me a a card of shame because I wanted her to feel guilty. Um, and because there are things that we should have insomnia about and things that we shouldn't. And a baseball game is not one of those things that we should have insomnia about. But there are things that should. You realize that a soul that is born into this world that never turns from their sin, turns to Jesus for salvation will forever reside separated from God in his judgment in the lake of fire? Now that's real. We're not talking about a baseball game here and a temporal trophy for whatever nonsense is going on. I like baseball. I like football, basketball, hockey, all of those things. But they matter so little in light of real things. And he's telling us in Ephesians 6.18... To be on the alert. Now, take this the right way, because I actually don't mean this as a condemnation in any way. This is not a bad thing, but it's a thought-provoking thing. How many times have you fell asleep while praying? Now, it's good that you were praying till the very last minute of your day, so that's good. I, I'm, this is not a condemnation. But the thought that we should think about that is, why am I not more alert? Why am I not more watchful? Happened to the disciples, you remember. Hey, why are you sleeping? Could you not watch and pray with me for this amount of time? Well, they were tired. They were dog tired. They had been going flat out for days on end. They were physically exhausted. And so you and I can 
empathize with their falling asleep in the midst of praying. The concept is what we're dealing with in life, what we're dealing with in this spiritual conflict is is of such importance that it should produce a watchfulness to keep us alert and ready for action, to talk to the Lord. Because He doesn't just say, be on the alert, take a look, see what's going on. He says, keeping alert with all perseverance, making supplication, making entreaty, demonstrating the need for all the saints. The Lord Jesus utilized this concept of watchfulness and prayer on a couple of occasions. I want to just mention a couple of them. They'll be on the screen here. In Mark chapter 14, He said this, And He came and found them sleeping. And He said, Peter, Simon, He said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Listen, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. It's an interesting concept. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The Spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. My flesh is weak. And I, and I, I dare say, and I don't mean this again disparagingly, your flesh is weak. You're not above this concept. Our flesh is weak. And what do we need to embolden us to do the right thing. We need to watch and pray. That's what Jesus told Peter. Jesus also used this concept of watchful prayer as a way to help us to look toward the consummation of all the ages. Listen to what He says in Luke 21, verses 34 and following. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Here's what he says. But stay awake at all times. He doesn't mean don't go to sleep. He's saying pay attention. Be watchful at all times. Praying, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place, and then to stand before the Son of God. Prayer and watchfulness are related. Because we are watchful, we pray. Because we pray, we are watchful. They're related concepts. Our prayerful watchfulness is further described with a call to perseverance. In verse 18, making, uh, excuse me, uh, keeping alert with all perseverance. Again, I'll remind you of how the Lord Jesus introduced uh, one of his parables, or Luke introduced one of his parables. Men ought always to pray and not to faint. So, as we consider our prayer life, our prayer should be characterized as continual, as spirit wrought, it should be characterized by watchfulness. And finally, uh, next, there's, there's another one after this. Our prayer should be characterized by selflessness or brotherly love. You can use it either way. Notice what he says at the end of verse 18. Making supplication, making entreaty, expressing a need for all the saints. For all the saints. Praying for your own needs is pretty 
natural as a believer, right? You know what's going on. You know your struggles. You know what you're dealing with. You know what's before you. You know what's going on with your kids and your, your spouse. Praying for those things, it's pretty normal, pretty natural. What, what is more challenging is remembering the challenges of others. And our prayer should be characterized by a consideration of one another. This text is a church passage, isn't it? He didn't write this to one lady or one guy. He wrote this to the church at Ephesus. And he says, church, church, take up the whole armor of God so that you'll be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And he goes on and tells them all the different pieces to put on. And then he says, praying at all times in the Spirit, making, um, uh, pr- praying, uh, being alert and uh, with perseverance, and making your supplication for who? All the saints. This is not just about you and your watchfulness for yourself. This is about our watchfulness as a body of believers. And, and other believers you may know that are not part of this body. We need to make one another as uh, important elements of our prayer lives. One of the ways that we express our brotherly love for one another is by praying for one another. Next, our prayer should be characterized as missional. Missional. As you get into verse 19, Paul asks them to pray for him. He says, and also for me. And also for me, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Pray for me. Paul asks the church to pray for him. He's imprisoned at the time of this writing. He has physical needs. He has emotional needs. He's dependent upon others for his necessities. And he didn't ask them to pray if he, that he'd have something to eat. He didn't ask them to pray that his emotional needs would be met. He doesn't ask for physical and emotional issues. His request is that the church would faithfully use their opportunity to pray for him so that he would be able to faithfully use the opportunity that has been afforded to him to fruitfully, faithfully, boldly, and clearly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am an ambassador in chains, and I want more than anything else to declare clearly and boldly the gospel so that people might understand the need that they have for salvation. So as we think about this, I I want for us to think for a moment, just think with me. How much of our prayer time is dedicated to praying for the fruitful proclamation of the gospel in Warwick, Cranston, West Warwick, and Providence? How much of our time, our prayer time, is dedicated to fruitful proclamation in France, in Papua New Guinea, in Benin, in Israel, in Yap, in Honduras, and other places that the Grace Dental and Medical Mission brings the ministry of the gospel. How much of our prayer time is dedicated to the fostering community in Rhode Island and around New England as we support the fostering hope in New England. 
you realize that all of these ministries, whether it be the Bixby's, I'm going to leave the Israeli part out, uh, the, the, the Bells and the Mitchells and the, the Reeds, how, how much of an impact they can have for the kingdom of God as they proclaim the gospel. Do you believe in the power of the gospel? Do you believe that the gospel God uses to transform lives? To redeem people from uh, an eternity headed toward the lake of fire and instead redeeming them so they spend eternity with the Father? Do you believe in the power that God infuses into the gospel? Do you believe that? It needs to be a priority for us. Ladies and gentlemen, Every Wednesday we gather together and we have a Bible study and a prayer meeting. And some are part of it. Some are not for one reason or another. Some come to the Bible study and leave before prayer. What are we saying by these things? What are we saying by a lack of participation in prayer together with the saints? Is it saying I don't believe that it has an impact? Is I'm too busy? Some people aren't physically able. That, and that's perfectly, it's perfectly reasonable to not participate in that if you're not physically able. But those of us that are physically able, those of us that can dedicate that time, we should be excited about the opportunity to beseech the Lord for the salvation of souls, the protection of of the church, that we would stand against the wiles of the devil, and that the, the gospel would make its desired impact. It would spread and, and retard evil around us. Our prayer should be considered or characterized as missional. We see that we're to pray for one another, but we're also to pray for those proclaiming the gospel. That's what we've, we've noticed here. We want to just summarize this quickly here in verses 19 and 20. Pray for me also that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. We can summarize this very easily. Right words. Pray for the right words. Pray for the right words. That words may be given me. It's an interesting word. It's the word that often is like a gift. Now, we're not praying for new revelation for our missionaries or for those that are proclaiming the gospel. We have all the revelation we need. What we're praying is that the right words that we already know and have would be articulated, would be communicated. We want to pray for the right words for the moment. But also bold or clear words. It says, in opening my mouth boldly. The word, there is another interesting word. The concept can be that of boldness. It can be that of clarity. Or it could be that of freedom of speech. Any one of the ways or a combination of those concepts could be, could be the idea that Paul is conveying. None of them would be harmful in our understanding. I think they're all helpful in our understanding. So pray for our missionaries. Pray for those that proclaim the gospel. Pray for them that they would have the right words and that they would be clear that they would sense the freedom that they have to to articulate truths of the gospel, and that they would do that boldly. It says at the end of verse 19, to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. The word is to make known. It's it's like the the unveiling. We have the gospel before us in in our Bibles. 
And we want to make sure it's clearly known, unveiled. It's, it's widely understood. That's the concept. That as we proclaim, people don't sit there wondering what we just said. They might be wondering, now what must I do? What must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Oh, tell us what to do. Repent and believe the gospel. That's what Peter said after he had preached and the people asked, what do you want us to do? Repent and believe the gospel. This is the call. It's clear. Right words, bold, clear words, and saving words. Saving words. To boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel. You know, it's one thing to preach. You have a burden. You think that everyone should be a better friend. You think that the men should be better husbands. You think that everyone should be a better citizen. These are all fine things. They might help you. Help you be a better person, better, have a better life. That's not what we're talking about here. It's not about the, the being a good person gospel. It's about the gospel. The call in this passage is that clear, bold utterance would be given for the proclamation of the only message that can redeem a soul from eternal damnation. The Gospel. To preach the Gospel is the call. This has the power to redeem you. This has the power to transform you. The unveiling of the Gospel invades the kingdom of darkness and snatches people out of the fire. We're talking about eternal life and eternal judgment. Paul tells them it is for the gospel that I am an ambassador in chains. Ambassadors are usually treated pretty well, aren't they? Not this ambassador. He's in chains. The message of God's good news, the gospel, was worth being imprisoned for. It was worth being imprisoned for in Paul's mind. So he said, pray that I may declare it boldly, accurately, clearly, as I ought to speak. As I ought to speak. The word, as I ought. Very simple word in the Greek language, day. A textbook definition of the word day in the Greek, is it is necessary. As it is necessary for me to speak. Pray that I would preach. Pray that I would teach. Pray that I would convey the Gospel boldly as I ought to teach. As it is necessary for me to preach. This is the mission. Woe to me if I preach not the Gospel. So, as we do regularly, let us rehearse. What is the gospel? What is this gospel that we're speaking of? What is it about? Number one, everyone, everyone, everywhere is born in sin and acts out sin. We are sinners by birth and sinners by choice. 
Secondly, the wages of sin is death. In other words, everyone everywhere is under the sentence of God's judgment. This is why when Paul spoke to the people in Athens about the unknown God that they didn't know, that he said, I want to declare him to you, he commands, he commands everyone, everywhere to repent because we have the sentence of death upon us. God's judgment will come upon everyone that does not repent and believe the gospel. Everyone everywhere is in sin, born in sin, and acts in sin. The wages of sin is death. But the good news is, folks, here's the good news. That's the bad news that leads us to understand the good news. The good news is that Jesus died on the cross as a sufficient payment for sin. Jesus died on the cross as a sufficient payment for sin. That, that judgment that rests upon everyone, that death that rests upon everyone, that impending doom that rests upon everyone that, that, that is a sinner, Jesus, His death is sufficient to pay for every one of those sins. Sufficient. It's sufficient. Jesus died on the cross as a sufficient payment for sin. Fourth, Jesus. Jesus was raised triumphantly over over sin. He was raised triumphantly over death. And He was raised triumphantly over Satan. Jesus was raised triumphantly from the grave as a sign of God's satisfaction, His pleasure, His acceptance of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. And finally, whoever will turn from their sin and turn to Jesus Christ as Lord, God, and Savior. Will be saved. At the moment you turn from your sin and turn to Jesus for salvation, God removes the record of your sin and He gives to you the righteous record of Jesus Christ, His Son, you are then declared righteous. This is necessary. This is necessary for spending an eternity with God. This is necessary to have salvation. There is no other way. There is no other avenue toward eternal bliss and union with God but through the death burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. That is a, it's a done deal. He's finished the course. He kept the faith. He, he completed the task. We turn from our sin and we turn to Jesus and God grants us eternal life. This is the work of God. So I implore you, repent. Repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Whoever comes to Me, Jesus said, I will never cast out. Come to Jesus. Come to Him today. Come to Him. Receive life 
receive eternal joy from God. Come to Jesus. All of this is in the context of prayer. Pray to stand. Pray to stand against the kingdom of darkness. Pray to stand against the kingdom of darkness. Will it, will it work? Yes? Will it work? Pray. Pray for the advance of the gospel. Pray for the advance and fruitfulness of the gospel. Will it work? Do you believe this? Those who do and who are physically able, these participate. They participate in prayer meetings of the church. This is one of the ways that we demonstrate that we believe this, is to come together and beseech the Lord to protect us and to prosper the gospel message that goes out and to bring forth fruit among a world that's dying, that's lost, and that's going to face an eternal separation from God. We should pray. We must pray to stand. And we must pray to advance. Will you commit to do this? Will you commit to do this? Let's pray. Father, we need you. We know we cannot fulfill your purposes in us of our own strength, stamina, and determination. And so we ask that you would mold us and make us and change us. Motivate us to talk with you. Motivate us to pray. Motivate us to be empowered by your spirit. We have every confidence that you will fulfill your purposes in us. Help us to yield ourselves to you and to be vessels, vessels that are committed to beseech you, empowered by your spirit, that the church would stand and the gospel would advance for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.